Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Wendy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy. And our tactics guy, and my poorly little boy, is mm. Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Hello. No, oh. it's, it's fine. It's all right. I'm, I'm better now. So. <laughs> Good. Glad to hear it. We are very proud to be partnered with Pleaties throughout March. You've probably heard us speak about Pleaties before. They are a clothing brand casual wear exclusively for us long-suffering Spurs fans. Their designs are inspired by the highs and lows of being proper coys. They include a goal, a celebration sorry, of that night in Amsterdam and an homage to the Tottenham High Road. It's glorious stuff. I would also say that they are good people and I'm very, very happy that we're working with them. Uh, we, we all have Politi's Clobber. We like it very much. The quality is excellent. Uh, do go check them out at pleatees.com. The name is a David Pleat reference. In fact, he was on uh, the Spurs show recently, David Pleat. So if you're not familiar with David Pleat, go listen to that. He is an incredible, incredibly knowledgeable man when it comes to football. And it's a, it's a good listen. So it is spelled Pleatees, P-L-E-A-T-E-E-S. And the uh, the web address is pleatees.com. Uh, Bardi, you, you're constantly, you're never out of your Pleatees clubber. Uh, it is true, Chris. You may introduce yourself as my best friend, but those who really know the two of us will know you can be quite controlling and demanding <laughs> of me. This includes my podcasting get-up. I need to appear on brand, not just for our listeners, but, but for you, Wendy. <laughs> you may opt for the more formal attire, but I'm a man who likes to be able to move and get around, especially when dodging strays on Twitter. But... <laughs> I still like to be able to rep Spurs without going all club shop Arsenal. That's why I honestly, I do like Pleatees. It's different. It's subtle, yet not very subtle. And it's pretty cool. Plus, they follow me on Twitter and like all my tweets, which is extra kudos for them. You should definitely give them a follow on Twitter as well, at Pleatees. Again, it's P-L-E-A-T-E-S. Um, drop them a tweet. Say that you're an ex-sub. Say hi. Uh, they've created a discount code for their shop. It's uh, especially for the extra range listeners. It is extra 20 and that will get you 20% off. I've actually got my eye on the Amsterdam t-shirt at the moment. Uh, I think I'm going to get that. Uh, yeah. Check them out. Pleatees.com. Sometimes Nathan... I wear clothes while we're recording too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, harking back to the, the infamous episode where uh, we recorded with the <laughs> weird dealer radio guys and Nathan was, was half dressed. Well, as far as you could tell, I, I have AC now, so it's not going to happen again. It's just a nice little treat for them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nathan, you've been you've been a poorly boy. 
yeah, there's not been much in the way of Patreon. So, like, yeah, my, my, my parents had the virus a couple of weeks ago, and then I got the Delhi video done. And then I thought I had the virus, but I tested negative. Um, I had a cold, basically, I think. It felt like a cold. Um, I've been doing some data of this stuff, but I couldn't... I've been coughing. All, I might have to remove a few coughs from this episode, because I've still got a bit of a cough going on. Um, but, yeah, there was a point where it's like I've tested negative, but it's like... I don't want to be getting on the train and stuff and like coughing and sneezing all over the place and getting funny looks and 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 my girlfriend who has to go to matches to report on them she doesn't want that either so I've been I've been <laughs> I've been isolating on my own with the cold um but it's I don't know I kind of feel like like I'm not passing on the cold to members of my family and I feel like that is actually it's weird, but it's maybe not. <laughs> maybe it shouldn't be weird. Maybe this should be just be like a fine, normal thing to do. To not just be like, oh, someone I live with has the cold, and now so so does everyone else. You know? Yes, normalize uh, not spreading disease. Absolutely, I think that's that's a wise way to go. I mean, I actually, um, I've always thought that going into work with a with a cold is um, is quite antisocial. Although I have done it. Um, I'm lucky enough to have my own office at work and every time I've been in with a cold I've always like shut my office door and I've even at times put a sign on my office door pre-pandemic days saying I'm ill I wouldn't recommend coming in kind of thing uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a real problem in open plan offices. Well, I mean, I the number of like service jobs I worked through my my teenage years and my early twenties, where like I couldn't call in, and like like food service jobs as well. It's fucking disgusting to be honest. Mm. But like I couldn't call in, but oh, I can't come and I've got a cold. So that wouldn't be acceptable. But mm. but the opposite shouldn't be acceptable. You know, it's it's grim. It's really grim. It's really grim. And the thing is, you don't know. You don't know like. Some people are fine with having a cold, right? That they're like, oh, it's just a cold. I just sure. got a cold. I just got a cold. Uh, so my my partner and her mother are both extremely clinically vulnerable. Hence, I've mm. I'm essentially still in my COVID lockdown. I've not done basically anything for the last two and a bit years, right? Uh, having a cold to my for my girlfriend's mother could potentially be very serious. She, like mm. she could die. She could die from having a cold, and you don't know from sort of day-to-day interactions with people what their vulnerability is so i think um you know wearing a mask when you've got a cold and and sort of isolating it seems very sensible to me from a sort of public health perspective are are we on our high horse again nathan buddy wants to talk about football now yeah he's he's given the look isn't he in fact what he's doing is what he does when this happens is he's kind of gazing off into the distance he's he's disengaged from the conversation he's just thinking i want to talk about matt doherty (laughs) (laughs) i'm actually i'm actually looking at my my soundbar is really nervous that i've I've got interference so uh, that's actually what i'm what i'm doing (laughs) oh bless uh it all sounds fine from my perspective (laughs) great then we shall continue and talk about proper football um what we do on this podcast when there are two matches in a week is we we focus on the most recent one and and the reason that is very helpful at the moment is because the most recent one is nearly always when spurs have won (laughs) and and so we start off with the positive stuff and then we can leave the negative bits till uh to midway through the pod so uh, we'll, we'll kick off with Everton, a match in which we scored so many goals. I had to re-watch them just now to remind myself of the goals. Um, where we always start is the lineups, and uh, I mean, I guess I guess there were no surprises. We we were lucky enough to have um, Lolo Bentancur back in the team, which is obviously great news. Um, Bardi, no surprises really from from Antonio Conte's team selection. No, not at all. It was great to see Betanko back. He just felt, just filled me with a little bit more confidence. 
It, this was a weird game. I think it's our first one on a Monday for quite some time. Mm. I mean, I, yeah, definitely this season. I can't remember the last one. And I was kind of 50-50. I had a busy day today whether or not to to make the journey down to White Hart Lane. And I, I left it late. It was maybe four, quarter past four Monday evening. I decided to go and I'm very glad I did. I I kind of was hoping that we'd get a team that would just turn up, roll over and let us tickle their belly. And my God, we got a team that did that. I've, I haven't seen a team so willing, well, Leeds maybe, so willing just to allow us to play to our strengths. It, it was it was great to see. Do you know what? Um, the, so the first couple of goals that, that we scored, that Everton conceded, it, really, it was really reminiscent to me of our goals conceded against Wolves. Like, mm. you know, they were kind of, they started sort of all right, Everton. They were sort of pressing quite high and looking quite aggressive. And then they just shot themselves in the foot twice, which is exactly how I felt about our performance against Wolves. The difference then was that they absolutely collapsed and we were, we were ruthless. We were really sort of vigorously attacking them for the next 50 minutes. Whereas in the Wolves game, I actually felt like we put up a pretty good fight thereafter, you know, having conceded the two ridiculous goals. Um, but Everton just broke mentally. It was almost possible to see the moment where the, the fight left them. Um, there's um, there's quite some, some almost kinship between us and them in terms of, you know, two historic teams, two big teams with a lot of history kind of dominated in their, in their city by uh, a rival that wears red. You know, the, the kind of down and their luck charm that they have. But how they played was very reminiscent of, of, I don't know, like early 2000s Spurs and even moments under under AVB where they just, things went against them and they just collapsed and they had no no way to fight back. And, and it's very strange that if you look at their players as individuals, they're pretty good, man. They've got some decent names on that pitch, but they're just a mess of of individuals just who just kind of moving around, not doing anything, not playing any type of style. And you could see that. They, they didn't know what they were doing that entire game. One thing I would say is their defence is, is really horrendous. I mean, obviously they've got serious injuries. Yeri Mina is a is a is a loss um, for sure. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, th- I think they are hampered with injury, uh, but their defence is a is a real mess. And I felt confident when I saw John Joe Kenny playing left back. I, I felt <laughs> very confident. He got dribbled in his box by Matt Doherty. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's not a good sign, is it? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Kulisevsky gave him an absolutely torrid time, to be honest. He really did. Just toyed with him for pretty much the whole game. Um, Nathan, interesting um, tactical match, I thought. Everton um, going aggressive, pressing us high, defending with a relatively high line, which is incredibly risky against Caden Son. And Spurs just happy to be really quite press resistant and calm in the back at the back and just sort of pass the ball around and wait for the gaps to appear. It's kind of the dream opposition for Conte's tactical style. Um, a team who are willing to press high, but not very good at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's nicely put. That's nicely put. Did you did you pick up much else from our performance in terms <laughs> of our tactics? Or yeah, I mean, I agree. It was just Conte doing Conte things. Uh, there was there was little to little, very few hurdles to overcome, yeah. shall I say. Yeah. Uh, it just sort of felt like we could pick them off. There was um there was a real determination to play out from the back, which did cause some some grumbles amongst the crowd. Uh, oh, I'm sure. Yeah, the crowd hates it. They didn't the like it at all. And uh, yeah, I don't think it helps when like you're dropping the ball into into Schoeberg and sometimes he he just seems unwilling to 
to Zoolander to turn right and get the ball out of him. So that, he was brilliant. That, I thought he had a great game. He he had a good game, but there's still there's still real big flaws to his to his um, to his game. And I think a few times he got caught, but then he had moments where he looked good. But I do think he needs upgrading. A better a better midfielder there makes us sing a lot better than he does. Um, so there's, there's quite a few really impressive performances to talk through. I think once again we should start with Harry Kane, who just continues his um, incredible run of form. Um, the, the goals are starting to come now, and this is the thing we we sort of. We saw the shot. We saw the saw the upturn in the shot numbers. We've known that he's been underperforming his expected goals significantly. Normally, for the he over first time in his life, yeah, yeah, for the first time in his in his entire Spurs career, he was underperforming his expected goals. He's been a massive overperformer previously. So, you know, underperforming isn't just a sort of drop off from you know your level with your expected goals. It's a drop off from massively overperforming. So it's really significant, uh, and. The, the goals are coming now. He's he's finishing things. He looks really confident again in front of goal. He's not kind of second guessing himself. He's not in his own head. Everything feels very natural. The sort of the intelligent volleyed finish at the back post for the second week running uh, is is a joy to see. This one different, of course, because he had time to watch the ball from Doherty sort of land on his on his foot. Uh, the first goal, really nice, kind of, I guess, probably gave Pickford the eyes, made him think he was going to go across him and then put it in the near post. Uh, he was just brilliant, Bardi, again. He was. There, there was um, there was a moment in the first half where Everton chipped the ball into Richarlison and he tried to do the same and he just swung and missed. And then he actually, two seconds later, the same thing happened again and he swung and missed again, which was very funny. But the the Kane one, so I was in line with the ball when it left um, Doherty's foot and it, it just dropped so nicely. And you're right, Kane had so much time to watch it, which almost makes it more difficult mm. because you've, you've got to pay attention to it. And it reminded me of my pool table at sixth form where you would just get your cue ball and, you know, you'd bounce it off the top cushion. Then as it falls down with your cue, you would just smack it into the pocket and it was all about timing and you'd always fuck up the timing but that's where Harry Kane's different it just dropped and he just tucked it away beautifully so Harry Kane has now overtaken Thierry Henry in the all-time Premier League goal scorers list he's at number six he is one goal behind fifth Frank Lampard with 177 he is eight goals behind Sergio Aguero in fourth place with 184 and he is 11 goals behind Andy Cole in third place with 187 goals. Does he get 11 goals between now and the end of yes. the season? Yeah. I was about to say, yeah. I, I think he'll overtake Cole between So you think third place the by the end of the, by the, end of the league? Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe even with a couple of games to go. I, I mean, I think he's in that, that kind of level of form now. <laughs> do, you, do you remember when the golden boot was close and then we went to Leicester and he scored, was it four? Yeah. <laughs> and then against Hull in the next game, oh, he got yeah. another hat-trick. That's like, what, he got like seven in the last two games. <laughs> two completely dead rubber, nothing games. How far behind the top goal scorer is he? He's, he's quite this. far. He's. I think Salah's on yeah, 16, yeah, yeah. 17, Salah's 18. Away already this season, yeah. Let's have a quick look. Uh, Premier League top scorers. So Mohamed Salah... Um, nineteen. Yeah, Harry Kane. Harry Kane ten. Yeah, is it uncatchable? Yeah, I think so. Well, you think he's going to get eleven or more league goals between now and the end of the season? I I guess the thing is, how many is Salah going to? He's going to continue to put him away. I reckon. (laughs) Mm. Mm. So you expect at least another five or six. Yeah, he's got to get to twenty-five to be within the shower. I think. So Kane needs fifteen goals. I I mean, it could happen. I don't think so. But yeah. 
it depends who, who we still have to play. We still have to play Norwich. Who have we got in the other? We've got Brighton and Brentford shops. and Leicester. <laughs> Maybe. He does. Yeah, I don't think. I think if he can get into second or third place, it would have been a good end of the season. I mean, the fact that we're even speculating and having this conversation is a sign of the ridiculous level of form that Harry Kane is in. And it is a wonderful thing. Long may it continue. Um, uh, massive shout out to to Matthew Doherty. Um, just a really solid right wing back performance. I, I sort of, I sort of don't know what to say. To be honest. <laughs> totally the same. I have no idea how to, how to explain it or how to talk about it. I still think he's not a proper right wing back. He's just because he doesn't seem to move. But he's really good. He's pretty, not really. He's he's pretty decent on the ball, and his positioning is solid. I, I he's still going to have defensive shortcomings. Mm. Although I think he's improved in the area. Um, he's still going to probably not look great under under strong pressure and sort of more generally in tight spaces, I guess. Um, but his attacking output in a small sample has been has been outstanding. You know, you know, when we looked at his his crossing, Wendy, uh, mm-hmm. before we signed him or just as we signed him and he kept going for this this chip shot, this wedge across this diagonal cross. And we were like, we don't like that. <laughs> oh, you mean the one that he assisted Kane with? Yeah, that the, one. for the second <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? I was going to say the exact same thing to you. It was, um, it was really amusing. But I mean, the thing is, from that angle, it's great. Yeah. From that, you know, if he, that that's his cross. That's his crossing style. That's his technique. It it won't work from around the corner, <laughs> but but you know just outside the the box, absolutely it can Underlapping work. Underlapping to get into that position, it's gonna it's gonna maybe it's gonna happen a couple more times. I'm I'm not gonna lie, I didn't know he had that in him. I I, I obviously <laughs> I, I knew he had that style of pass in him because we yeah. watched it in that video and bemoaned it. <laughs> um, but I didn't know he had that sort of vision and creativity from that area in him. I see. I've always seen Doherty as a sort of quite a functional player, someone who, who is not a good ball progressor, not an especially strong defender, but someone who does make consistently really brilliant back post runs, times those yeah. runs to perfection. It's called almost mechanical. It's like he's not the most flamboyant mm. player. He's not the most technically able player, but he knows what he has to do and he and he does it and he repeats it. And this is the thing. But actually, he showed some really good creative passing in that game yesterday. Two through balls, which were, you know, not immaculate, but they were well seen and well played. And then that ridiculous ball to Kane. I I wrote him off as a Premier League footballer. I was wrong and I apologise. Someone uh, pointed out, um, I can't remember who, but it's something that's been on my mind recently. Remember that he he had the virus uh, shortly after he signed, mm-hmm. um, and I remember saying at the time, you know, give him a little while, you know, don't, don't you know, don't read him on his next few performances. It might take him a while to get back to fitness. But there there has been a number of of athletes who've taken months and over a year even, and I do wonder if that may be the case because I think he looks sharper. I think he looks fitter. Maybe that's just Conte's training, you know. Um, that's I, I just also. As but I also think it's confidence, it's self-belief, sure, because sure. I've seen the exact same growth in Sessegnon. Um, yeah. and it, look, I would say he didn't have the perfect first half yesterday, Sessegnon, not by any stretch. He was um, erratic in that match. Uh, but but generally, I think his performances are really improving. Um, he's showing a lot more confidence in the final third, the willingness to attempt shots. Uh, and, and the cross, obviously, for the Michael Keenan goal was, was a really impressive bit of work from Sessegnon. So... 
the fact that sort of two players have gone from looking scared of their own shadow to actually, you know, proper, decent options for us, I think speaks to the the self-belief they've got, which stems from the belief that the manager has in them. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, absolutely, absolutely. COVID, of course, is going to have an impact on on a player uh, and, and will certainly knock a player's rhythm for sure. Um, while we're talking about Dotti, there's reporting today that Spurs are ready to listen to offers for Emerson Royale. Uh, and yeah. I absolutely do not want to shit on Emerson Royale at this point. I think that's it's not fair or right. But, you know, I think it's important to remember that Emerson Royale was signed for Nuno when we were playing a very different system, you know, a different formation. And the, the role that he was going to be asked to play would have been significantly different. I don't think for one second that we would have targeted Emerson Royale if uh if to Conte be a was in charge yeah. yeah yeah i agree so so the idea of being willing to listen to offers for him makes total sense to me yeah i feel i feel i feel kind of bad for him to be honest I think it's it's been a really unfortunate sort of series of events mm. i uh, i tweeted out earlier um his polar from this season and last season so his season at betis where he got into the brazilian national team and and we signed him for 25 million and this season where he is you know written off and despised and they're pretty similar statistical outputs he's he's you know he's been sort of fairly consistent it's just i think a, a different a change of circumstances and the change of what's been asked of him i think he's looked less i think he's looked more sort of shaky under pressure than i was expecting him to be Mm. um and i did point out that his 1v1 defending against a really fast tricky winger can can be an issue but i think it'd be as bad as it has been um but basically we're asking a sort of steady defensive fullback to to be a difference making wonderful creative wingback and i think that uh, if we were if we were asking Ben Davies to play week in week out at wing back, uh, maybe we'd be having similarly negative opinions of him, you know. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I just think it's a bit of a shame for him. Basically, well, we did, we have been like for four or five years, we've been talking negatively about Ben Davies as a <laughs> fullback and, and as a wing back, but not anymore because now he's the greatest left sided centre back in in world football. I think I think Emerson Roy is a perfectly good fullback. Same. Just just not for us, basically. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I th- I think you could sort of put him into a number of teams as a fullback, and he would do a a very very good job. I mean, in the same way that I think Aaron Wan-Bissaka looked really good for Crystal Palace and doesn't look good in the role that he's expected to play for Man U. I, I think there's a, a lot of similarity there, personally. Um, exceptional performance from Dayan Kulusevski. I thought he was magnificent this game uh, I've been really impressed with his form generally um, less so against Borough where he just looked a bit knackered to be honest uh, but you know properly properly back to his best again the output the, the sort of comparative output with Lucas is ridiculous I mean in terms of um, like ball progression and like the dribbles he gets going and even like it's not too far apart in like the number of key passes that Lucas was racking up, but it's just the difference making around it is so significant. It just, it's, I guess it's more efficient, you know, it's, it's maybe less voluminous, but more efficient. I think, um, I still think like, don't assume that he's just going to keep popping away goals and assists every game forever and all that. But it's like, I don't know when you have the profile of Kane and the profile of Sun, like, uh, the most rounded forward in world football and, and one of the best forwards the game has ever seen. And Sun, who's this like, um, all time 
finisher from wide angles and an incredible runner in behind, the player you want to accompany them is someone who's a bit creative, someone who's going to link it up, keep it simple, play it smart. Um, you don't want a player who just wants to come deep for the ball and turn and, and do it all himself, you know? Um, mm. so again, as, as much as it's like, it's kind of like the opposite of what we're saying with Royale and what we're saying with Doherty is just suitability to, 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 to a player that suits getting the best out of that, you know, being, being, um, third Mike <laughs> to, to Kane and Son, you know, rather than trying to be the star next to them. I think just, just someone who brings those two into play, um, and, and, and helps them out is, is perfect. I saw on, um, on, on Serie A Twitter, People talking about Kulisevsky's already matched his goals and assist output <laughs> this season at, at Tottenham that he took him 24 games or something in Serie A to do. And one of the comments was, maybe the Premier League is the Farmers League, which <laughs> <laughs> which did make me lull. Because they really thought they were getting rid of a dud and he's he's been magnificent. I do think, Nathan, he has got some star quality of his own, though. I mean, I know I, I know what you're saying. I know you're sort of saying that, you know, we've got these two unbelievably world-class players and yeah. he has to sort of just play second fiddle to some to some degree. But I, I think he's bringing a sort of level of star quality at the moment. And, and yeah, of course, it could it could revert to something less than that. And hopefully it won't, but it's likely it will. Uh, but at the moment, I mean, what I'm thinking is having Kane and Son means that the opposition must just be constantly obsessed by Kane and Son, right? Sure, and that yeah. naturally will create space for for the other player in the sort of forward trio. And we've never really benefited from that. We've never found someone who helped us to benefit from the, the supposed extra space. And now we're finding someone that has benefited to such a degree that the opposition is, is now going to be wanting to double up on him too. <laughs> so it's like... Oh my goodness, we are we are a nightmare to play against to some degree now because not only have you got Kane and Son who could deliver goals and assists, you've got this fantastic, creative, very strong, good finishing player on the opposite side of the pitch. I mean, it's just it's wonderful. I mean, we um we talk a lot about um Lucas's defensive qualities and the fact that he can press and everything else. Kudelski does that. He and does. does it even smarter. Really, really good defensive play from him consistently. Um, and what I like about him, so he doesn't always like he, he's not someone who'll hair around and sort of chase down the ball, but he'll he'll make himself an extra body, someone else to 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 mm. for opposition players to have to get around and then make himself an option when we win the ball back. So as soon as we win, he's looking for space, he's he's making himself available, and then he's really good at holding the ball up in tight areas, giving um his teammates a chance to sort of get close to him, make runs off him. Uh, and he's very reliable. He's not someone who kind of gives the ball away in dangerous positions too often. I mean, Just, if he, I love him. If, if he had a touch more pace, a touch more pace, I think he'd be genuine world-class level footballer, genuine elite level. Um, he just lacks a little bit of pace sometimes on the counter attack. He, he he just can't get going. But he's everything else. You can't. I can't complain about him. That's just me being picky and asking for asking for everything. I, I think he can. I think he can get faster. I think um, it would be possible. Like Harry Kane slightly changed his body shape and his running gait and was able to get a little bit faster. And I think it's possible that Kulisevsky could do the same. Um, and it, and if you, like I'd say him and Kane are probably of a similar speed. I've not checked. I've not been able to check any sort of speed data, but I would just from the eye test they look like they move at a similar speed, and that's not held Kane back. So I'm not worried about him. I, I just think he's wonderful, and I think he's got 
um, potential to get even better. I'm very excited about that signing. I really am. Um, interesting substitutions in this match, I thought. So obviously, Sessegnon came off at half-time injured. He's hurt his hamstring. He was having a scan today. Let's hope that uh, it's nothing too serious because he's, he's certainly hitting some form. Uh, it seemed right to to take him off as soon as we were concerned. I didn't realize I didn't realize he was injured. I thought um, I just thought it was like uh, bringing Regulon back in from COVID type sub. I, ah. <laughs> I didn't clock it at the time. Uh, yeah, who do you think if they're both fit and ready and fresh? Who do you think is starting at the moment between those two? Sessignon. No, 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 no. I still That's... think it's Regulon, but I do think yes. at least it's in contention now, and that means we have two good options for mm. left wing back, and that's that's really good. I do think uh, Reguilon can be a bit more hasty almost with the ball going forwards, yes. but that's just because he's a bit more, he's he's a little bit more dangerous and willing to take a chance. Uh, and I just think he's, yeah, I, I just think he's still the better player. Sessegnon has had a good little period and got some nice assists and stuff. Uh, but yeah, it, it needs to be Reguilon for, for the time being. I think Sessegnon better suits the um, running ahead of the play. Yes, which is what how we're maximising our wing backs at the moment. But I still think the overall better play is Regulon, and I'd rather, I'd rather ask Regulon to do um, his impression of Sessegnon running ahead of the ball than try to get Regulon to round out. I mean, obviously, I still want Sessegnon to do that to round his game to to master the defensive side, to gather a sort of a more physical presence, and to to be able to carry the ball better and those kinds of things. And I I back him to improve that side of his game. But I'm saying is. Going into the next match or whatever, I would I would play Regulon. Interesting, yeah. I mean, I I I would go Sess. I, I think Regulon's been quite poor defensively recently and quite wasteful at the other end. Obviously, took his chance fantastically well, having been on the pitch for like forty seconds or something against Everton. Um, decent finish. I thought he looked really good. I, I thought he had a strong second half performance, to be honest. Whereas Sessegnon was a little bit more erratic in the first. Uh, but I, I kind of agree with what you said initially there, Nathan. I, I really like the way Sessegnon uh, attacks space, uh, interprets space. Uh, I like his tactical understanding in this system um, a bit more than Regulon. But I, sure. I can see that Regulon is a sort of more, you know, clearly a more confident all-round footballer. Um, I think once once Sessegnon has a few more games and believes in, in himself even more, then we've got something really exciting to work with. Uh, I just hope that this injury isn't too serious because it's it's so typical of his Spurs mm, career so far. Yeah. You know, he gets a bit of a start and then he gets injured and then he comes back and works himself back into the team and gets another appearance and then he gets injured again. And it must be so demoralising for him. I want to comment on Romero. Uh, we, I, I started off talking about the substitutions. Then I think the move to take off Romero was a really sensible one. He was on a yellow card for a quite ridiculous challenge against Richarlison. Obviously, they've got some ongoing beef, um, which has been on and off the pitch, judging by Romero's Instagram. Did you know about this? Uh, I I didn't know about it, but I, it was right under me. And... I, the the reaction of of that stand was a collective gasp, then laugh, then applause because <laughs> it was really agricultural, man. He just wiped him out, and you don't really see those tackles anymore. And it it was it was an amazing thing to see. It's one of the most impressive things I've seen at that new stadium. Just 
the it because it was ferocious, but it wasn't over the top, but it was reckless, but it was within the brackets of a yellow mm-hmm. card tackle. It it was very smart and very cunning from him. It was it was it was very Latin and very Argentinian. <laughs> this is yeah, this is a this is a thing. This goes back. This will happen basically every time we play Richarlison. Um it happens with with uh with international games. I'm not sure where the starting point is and I'd like to know uh, what the history is, but but they they fucking hate each other. Yeah. They, <laughs> there was beef at Goodison Park, wasn't there? They yes. they squared up and had a go at each other when it was the the VAR decision for the penalty that wasn't given. They were really going at it then. They are definitely not friends. Yeah, <laughs> but they're also like sure, I, I understand that there's genuine anger and hatred there, but there's also like a sort of a um like it's so obscene it's so dramatic it's like a it's like a cartoon it's like an anime rivalry it's like a they're not just oh this guy's a prick it's like no <laughs> this guy's my nemesis i am yeah. sworn to defeat him and all that kind of stuff you know that's that's the vibe i get i'm here for it <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to the everton game um in 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 two years time once they got promoted again yeah. i mean there was um there was also there was some um a little bit of i think I, it's more sportsman beef rather than real hatred but delhi went in on kane like over the top and not attack not the kind of tackle that you would expect of of friends and former colleagues and kane as he stood up he he turned his back and didn't even acknowledge and Delhi didn't say sorry or anything and you could see but just by Kane's body language that, that was coming back and he was going to get his own back and it was God's work when he took out Delhi it just that's Harry Kane I love that moment I don't remember this I I, I know I definitely like checked out a little bit for the last 15 minutes <laughs> yeah. of the match but I yeah. I just don't remember that at all I, I might go back and watch it there's a tackle from Delhi which is a bit a bit strong it's fair but fair but hard as like Alex from Bristol would like to say <laughs> and um, Kane waited and bided his time and he got his own back it was it was beautiful on um, Romero uh, I, I just think he's wonderful I think he's you know aside from that crazy tackle and wanting to hurt Charles and uh, he's such a good footballer he's so calm and it was really interesting to sort of get the direct comparison with with Sanchez yesterday coming on and look I'm not going to shit on Sanchez he is what he is he's not suited to the system but he's not a bad player but when you see the two of them and when they receive the ball mm-hmm. it it really shows you what a fabulous footballer Romero is there was a moment on 70 minutes when Sanchez um picks up the ball in a position that Romero's picked it up so many times in that match and in previous matches uh, and he kind of his body his body position just it means that he's only ever going to be able to do one thing, which is just pass it straight out to Doherty. Uh, and then he takes this kind of awkward little touch to, I think it's Delhi actually is closing him down. He takes this awkward little touch, which it, it makes, it t- telegraphs it even more. So Doherty then, I think he kind of plays it off the opposition player and wins a throw. If that comes to Romero in the same position, he's got an open body position. He can go forward, he can go back, he can take the player on. He He's just so confident in possession. He's so, um, I don't know what the word is. He's... Uh, He's very fluid. He's a very fluid He's fluid. He's natural. He looks like you played in midfield. He doesn't look like a centre-back when he receives the ball. And that leaves him with options. Mm. And it's wonderful. It it means that we can properly play out from the back, which I thought, again, we did a really good job with yesterday. So I I just love Romero so much. And I think he adds so much to our our game. And if we can sign another ball-playing centre-back... 
either you know left-sided central or even as a backup just someone who can who can play I'll feel really really good going into next season yeah you know I do I do feel like you were shitting on Sanchez a little bit you are asking him to be a player that he can that he's not he, never yeah has no, that's, been, that's never true will be. that's true so there is a fault there with with trying to play the system with him, like the same kind of thing we've seen with Royale. It's, exactly, it's, it's not that individual's fault. It's he's not he's not a Conte defender, and he he will be sold this summer. He's done okay in the times he's played, but definitely if we're gonna if Conte stays and we're gonna stick with this, then Sanchez needs to be moved on. Hundred percent, and and he'll go and be really good at a team that doesn't need him to play out from the back. He'll yep. he'll be really really good, and I I wish him all the best because I like Sanchez. I, th- I think he seems like a really really decent guy, um, and he's you know over the years he's put in some good performances for us as well. He's he's by no means a bad player. He's just unsuited. Mm-hmm. But thinking about it, if we, if you know if we sell Sanchez and Emerson Royale and and maybe even Lucas. That's quite a lot of money we can potentially bring in in the summer for three players who don't really fit that well. That's um, that's quite exciting. That's plus La Celso and Dombele money as well. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. So um, uh, the other substitution, of course, was Son coming off for Bergwijn getting a rest. I really liked resting Son. Obviously, it would be nice to rest Kane as well, but at least one of them got a rest, which is which is good. I'd really like to have seen Harvey White, but I was also mm. quite happy to see Bergwijn. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Likewise. Yeah. I, know th- I think that would have been a good game to blood White, uh, give him a chance. But uh, yeah, it's, it's fine. He'll, he'll probably get some minutes. I'm At the moment, I'm kind of disappointed that he's um, not out on loan because I feel like we've wasted his season, to be honest. But whatever. Whatever. I don't think so. I think if if we've got a young player there playing with Conte, training with Conte every every week, we know the effect Conte has on on individuals over the course of a seven day period. I th- I think it's fine for him to be there and learning and and um, having a bit of experience of working with uh, our manager. Fair enough. Um, so let's let's do Borough. <sighs> a, sh- a struggle of a match. I mean, it was massively boring. We were clearly just knackered he didn't rotate which was a surprise to me uh the players just looked heavy-legged and not very motivated mm-hmm. and i thought we started okay and then we didn't score so they were just like oh it's one of those games and it's almost felt like they stopped trying to score a crushing disappointment to lose to to a championship team obviously and i did just want that match to fuck off i really yeah. hated every moment of it um but not that surprising, given what we've heard about Conte and sort of two matches a week and cups. Would you yeah, say? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, you, you you sort of mentioned this earlier that we're doing this thing at the moment where it's like we we're hiding on this podcast our losses behind our win. Um, but like, I really fucking hated this match. You no, know? it, yeah, it was a awful. really fucking awful match because, like. I remember when uh, when Conte first came in and we talked about our share of possession and I said, look, I don't, I thought I would mind, but I don't mind Spurs not having a, a dominant share of possession because when we do have the ball, we're so creative and efficient with it. We're so good at getting back out of a half that it's not like it was under Mourinho before and I really like it. Um, but I, I really, really hated just surrendering the game to a championship side so much. I, I hated it. I hated that we didn't rotate, that the, the players looked disinterested, that we would look tired. 
the, the our game plan was to just try to catch him on the break and I hated that fair play to Wilder and, and Middlesbrough they they came really well prepared for our counterattacks and turned us over in midfield again and again quite quite honestly quite a shameful performance for <laughs> for players and coaching staff alike I really hated this match so much yeah I mean even Conte looked disinterested didn't he he, he you know you look at how he kind of patrols the touchline in games that he's really up for. And then against Middlesbrough, he just sort of seemed within himself and not so, that fast. So if we're going to just surrender the competition, we might as well rotate through 11 right. players and give everyone a rest and, you know, send the assistant manager or whatever. I just, what, what, I don't know what we're expecting from like playing our first 11 in a very casual manner. Mm, yeah. Um, Bardi, any thoughts on the Borough match? It was an absolute misery, and to do it on fucking primetime TV That's was even thing. worse, man. You've got everybody and their fucking dog sat down to watch this shit, and it's just Spurs doing that. Uh, yeah, that's it. It was awful. I, I, I was getting WhatsApp message from casual football fans. Yeah. Uh, really annoying. It's really annoying, Tottenham. And you know what? It was, it was so poxy. The BBC couldn't even get their score thing working. Oh, yeah. The game was kind It was like... It was like we we're playing Plovdiv or something. It was it was just amateur right across the thing, and yeah, it was horrible, horrible game, and it's not what I want to think of ever again. Yeah, really, really, really not good. No. Very bad vibes from that game. Um, but here's what I would say. Here's what I would say. <laughs> Straight after that game, I was pissed off, and I woke up the next day and I was still pissed off. And the day after that, I thought it's fine. It's only it's only like. As long as we beat Everton, I'm fine. Like I'm fine. We're just going to move on, and we're going to keep going, and we'll be right as rain again. It. I wasn't because some people were spiraling. Some of the messages, some of the emails we got post Borough were angry. And how is this being allowed to happen to our football club? And yeah. Antonio Conte is going to leave. <laughs> uh, he's not going to be backed. Harry Kane's going to leave. Um, someone was emailing us saying you need to get someone more realistic on the podcast who actually, you know, reflects the views of the of the majority of the Spurs fandom. I mean, hello, you already have one. I am the voice one, of one yeah, but, but Bardi, Bardi, apparently, um, you you are you are dismissed by Nathan and I. That's the. <laughs> yeah. I, well, that's true as well. I am often dismissed, and my best bits are ended up on the cutting room floor. That that is the truth. Don't tell them our secrets. <laughs> But I, it was you got so upset, Chris. I had to take over extra Age Twitter, and I, I honestly, I hadn't had that much fun on Twitter in a long time. It was, it was a good afternoon of nice questions and and nice conversations. Uh, the reason I was upset was because um, I felt like everyone else was disproportionately miserable, um, and that was as, as yes. a, not yeah. just as a result of, of Twitter, but as a result of our mailbox as well. And the Discord, actually, to be honest, there's a lot of misery on the Discord, which is normally a happy place. Uh, yeah, and I, and, I, and I think um, the sort of the low lows and the high highs of the last few weeks have been really challenging. But I think what if you put it all into perspective and look at the, the levels of performance when we're at our best now compared to the levels of performance when we were at our best last season, for example, I really do feel good about the the way things are going. And look, I know Everton is shit. I know Everton are proper shit, and we played them at a good time, whatever. But um, I still, I still feel pretty confident about top four. I know, I know people are gonna, you know, the second that's off the table, uh, people are gonna be coming for me. But I feel good about it. I really do. I think you know Arsenal play three tough matches now. We've we've 
we've brought the goal difference back to a sort of closer um, uh, match with them. It's no longer necessarily a point. You know, essentially the goal difference yeah. when it gets to a certain um, level is a point. Not necessarily. Now we can catch up with Arsenal in terms of goal difference. Um, I think um, I think United at the weekend is going to be a huge. Yes, it's going, it is. It's, it's a key game because it's one. First of yeah. all, it's against a direct rival, and just everything else that comes along with it—the momentum and all the narrative. But then we do have a problem, and that's that we have a game midweek after United. So if, ah. we, beat, <laughs> if we beat United, we got Brighton on 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 my birthday actually. A midweek game as a as an occasional thing is it's not so much of a problem. It's when it's every week, right? That's when it becomes a real burden. Three games every two weeks. That is what the norm should be for a elite professional football club, in my opinion. And That's any, fine. Right? Any more than that is you're doing damage to um, the product as an entertainment value, to the players on a physical level, to the the tactical plan, to the manager, and the scheduling and everything else. Any more than three games every two weeks is is too much and it's definitely too much for us right now for sure for sure so whistleblows 81 says is there another team across all four divisions who has a bigger discrepancy between what the fans expect and what the club delivers or are all fan bases the same i lived in cornwall back in the 80s and watched plymouth argyle for a couple of years it was great fun albeit shit football as there were no expectations above where they could get to which inevitably was nowhere has Poch's great team just ruined it for us going forwards now that we've tasted the good times but realistically can't compete with the big boys? So to give a sort of a simple and direct answer to the question, no, because uh, Man United and Barcelona and even Arsenal fans all think that they should be winning the league every year, right? And every time that they don't, they're immensely disappointed. Um, and Chelsea, I guess, currently in a similar situation, but they've, they've tasted glory recently. Um, so there are, and there's also like, you know, historical, um, Premier League contenders who are like in Champions League and, and League One, right? They're, they're having a rough time, you know? So we definitely haven't got it worse in that regard, but we are just sort of in a bit of a, a rough time now. But I don't, I don't know. I, I, I see this sentiment, especially online around, uh, this idea that 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 we should be like Champions League contenders every year and everything else, but I'm not sure that that is the dominant mentality in the fan base. I don't know if that reflects that much fans in the stadium. Fans have been following Tottenham, you know, through the 90s and everything else. Um, so I don't think I don't think it's that strong. But I I, I take I take exactly what you're saying about like going to watch your <laughs> shit local team with no expectations and the joy of that. I mean, if you if you look at Man United, for example, there's there's a sentence in in football punditry called "It's Man United," yeah, <laughs> and that pretty much sums up the discrepancy between the, <laughs> what the fans expect. And I think where they are right now, that's a, it's a huge gap between what they do. Um, so I think there are fan bases that that are worse than us, but pretty much they're all the same. Every every fan goes into things into a season expecting something good to happen because you know that's what we that's what we all want to do. So I don't think Poch ruined anything after um, uh, you know when we moved from Redknapp into AVB, there was an expectation for the team to play like how Redknapp had set it up with the squash, the, the the fantastical swashbuckling football, which I don't think ever really existed apart from yeah. one or two games. But there was, you know, that expectation of it. 
No, I don't think Poch has ruined it, and I don't think we we have it quite as bad. Like Nathan, like Nathan said, Barcelona expect to be winning the league. Real Madrid demand to win the Champions League every season. I think there's a far bigger discrepancy there. I mean, I just basically the rich teams do well, right? That's how football works. <laughs> yes. And and we are we we we're, we're something like sixth, I think, in terms of our our wage spending. But it's not like we're close behind the others. There's the top four or five who pay massive 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 wages and then there's a massive gap and then there's us um but the thing that elevates us and has elevated us for a number of years is is harry kane and previously it was having a good manager mauricio pochettino one of the best managers in the world and now we've got antonio conte one of the best managers in the world and that elevates us so having kane and son and conte i think does give you a, a sort of expectation around champions league and i think it's i think that's right i think it's you know to, to have that expectation is is fine we've got a brilliant manager and two unbelievable players at the same time if kane goes in the summer then that expectation suddenly drops significantly uh, but while we've got kane i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to cling on to that sort of that expectation, that um, that hope. I think there's still a massive amount of potential at Spurs. Um, but the, the difference is, I'm not going to kick off if it doesn't happen. I'm not going to not going to throw my toys out the pram because I realise that we still need the stars to align a little bit. We need one of the, you know, if if everyone punches their weight, we're fifth or sixth. The the idea the, the idea around me being hopeful and expectant is that someone, oh, it's man new this year, someone will drop off, someone will not punch their weight. Uh, but that, that's 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 football. That happens nearly every year if a team doesn't punch their way. We didn't punch our weight last year, um, and it'll, I'm sure there'll be times in the future where we won't punch our weight. And you know, Arsenal didn't punch their weight for a number of years. It looks like they might they might be a bit better this year. But I mean, I like having hope. I like having expectation. I think it's. I think if you sort of look on the positive side, it's uh, a more enjoyable experience, and that's why Mourinho crippled me as a fan because I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't find any positives to cling to. I really struggled, and um, and my fandom really suffered for it. So, sort of having this level of hope is uh, is a fun thing for me, and um, I'm enjoying it. But I, I, again, I won't. I'm not going to sort of allow myself to become too disillusioned if, let's say, we, we come fifth or sixth this season. It's not the end of the world. We'll we'll regroup and hopefully Kane will stay and, and we, we go again next year. Because you know we're winning the league in 2024 when Klopp and Guardiola go and we're season three into into Conte. That's when things are really going to kick in. That's We will win the league in 2024. With Dane Scarlett scoring 45 goals. <laughs> Yeah, now we have to ruin it by getting two over the top. I mean, it was already <laughs> enough I said would win the league. Um, Alex Nathan says, questioning Conte feels mad, but this is bugging me. In the three-at-the-back system that he's wedded to, the wing-backs are incredibly important attacking and creative outlets. With the current selection of central midfielders, this is even more the case, as I don't mm-hmm. think anyone expects more than a few goal involvements per season from Skip, Hubert, Winks and Bentancur combined. I like Regalon and Sessignon a lot, but I knew I knew Regalon would miss the sitter against Southampton, and I suspect he ordered too. He's not a finisher, which is entirely reasonable. Emerson seems like a decent player, but bonkers deflected goals aside, he's not an effective attacking wing-back for now, and the club's chase of Adama is testament to this. Given the extremely talented Bergwijn and Kulusevski will be on the bench for most games, would well, actually, that's changed now. And this kind of ages the question, I think, yeah. because mm. he could send this a, a while back. Um, 
So let me go back to that bit again. Given the extremely talented Bergvine and Kudasevsky will be on the bench for most games, would it not make more sense in the short term to work on a system that plays to the strengths of the players that are there or better uses the squad's resources? The 3-4-3 and 3-5-2 have stabilised the team, but why go the rest of the season asking Regulon and Emerson to be attackers when there are actual attackers on the bench? If you flip it around, other than Jose, would anybody purposefully implement a system that forced Son and Lucas into defending fullback positions for 70% of each game? It would be considered a ridiculous waste of their strengths. Uh, is Conte fundamentally not able to transfer his passing patterns from a back three system to a back four system? That's an interesting element of the question. I definitely think that um, that is very significant. So obviously, okay, obviously a lot of what has been said here is, has aged a lot over the last few games because... Sessignon and Doherty are <laughs> what a bizarre sentence. Sessignon and Doherty are like really turning up their sort of creative performance in the final third for us and uh, and sort of taking those wing back roles by the horns pretty well. Um, but I definitely felt this frustration in, in the several weeks prior. Um, but I still think it speaks to a wider point in that we're sort of trapped with the back three a lot of the time, <clears throat> and I do think a lot of it comes down to. Yeah, the the patterns that that Conte implements, although we can switch between three four three and three five two, the the three centre backs and the way that they divide up the pitch and the angles that they open, um, the from sort of the central midfield to the the centre backs, um, yeah, I think it's quite hard to get the sort of more pattern based football going, especially with you know the way Conte has taught those patterns all along with with the back four. And that that means that uh, we need to buy a right wing back who can make Doherty second choice again in the summer. I mean, we we've um, expressed frustration at the continual use of three four three when three five two looked like a really good option, and um, and I have found that annoying to be honest. Obviously, less so now we got Kulusevski playing really well. Uh, but I think the three-five-two Conte used it when he didn't have Romero available, so he was struggling to to build out from the back. So he played three-five-two. It meant Winks would drop into the back line and build up and get on the ball and and try and um, and help support build up from the back. Uh, and he hasn't used that since since the Leicester game. He, we've not used three-five-two because I guess because Romero is back and we don't. He doesn't feel we necessarily need it. Um, but I do think he is quite uh, um, dogmatic, isn't he, Conte? He, he he has his system. He wants to use it regardless. He will shoehorn players in if he needs to, to use his system, because that's the, the system that best uses his patterns or best um, is, is best a- able to use his patterns. And that is qu- it can be annoying when things aren't going well. It can be very annoying, as we've seen. Um, he's not going to change, though, is he? Buddy, is this normal for Conte? He plays. He has. He has his way of playing. He has his setup, and that's that's how we play, and that's what he does. Um, he's not going to change just because we want to play back four. He he has his way of doing things, and I'm I'm happy, and I'm fully behind his his system. I just think that basically all modern coaches are dogmatic. Yeah. Um. I just think that that's how coaches learn. Except football. for Graham Potter. Except, no, but 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 I think him too. Um, coaches learn through 
like the coaches they had and 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 even if they weren't players the the sort of mentors they had mm-hmm. um we we all fan bases are essentially crying out for plan b right and yeah. i think that people think of like Mourinho as a very sort of tactically adaptive manager but like god we were crying out for keeping the ball um and and playing with the ball and playing with a high defensive line and stuff like that but he was dogmatic and um wedded to his style of play <laughs> which was to play on the on the counter you know the the idea of of teams just being able to completely change up not not like elements not like tweaks but like to really go from being one team to another team on the fly it's just not something you see that much. Um, what you see is teams were more used to having the ball, <clears throat> switching to having less of it, and sitting deeper when they are in the Champions League, like we saw with Pochettino, for example. Um, but you, you, you just don't, you don't see. I don't know. You don't see teams who normally press high switching to sitting deep, and um, that's that's just the nature of coaching. And again, I think all teams are crying out for plan. All fan bases are like, "What's this other thing that we've got?" But it, it, it's not real. <laughs> it doesn't exist. Yeah, every every manager from from Sean Dyche to to Arteta, they all got their own system that which they follow and they they live or die by. Um, the the weird ones is when you see someone like Frank Lampard who just doesn't have any kind of discernible style, who's just dropped into the game because of, of who he is and who he knows. He, he doesn't have a way of playing. Um, even Gareth Southgate has a way of playing football and, and a system that he's wedded to. I do think um, it will be interesting to see if after uh, a bit of time, a, a pre-season, Conte might um, be a little bit more adapt- adaptable with the formation though I mean obviously not the philosophy I think the philosophy will will remain but I do think you know the point that that Alex is making is around the, the formation and the players that are on the pitch as a result of the formation um so for example we know Conte likes to build up with a back three Everton played a back four last night and they built up with a built up from the back with the back three Seamus Coleman tucked in on the right and they had um uh, John Joe Kenny pushed on on the left. Man City build up with a back three, but play a back four. So there are other ways of achieving the same ends philosophically. Um, and and I think that will be interesting. But my understanding is that Conte hasn't verged from a back three in years now. I mean, since his Chelsea days, as, as I understand it. So, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I think he would almost, the fact that he he's even used Kulusevski as a wing back in this short period, I think, tells you all you need to know. He wants to play a back three unless he has to move to a back four, and he would rather play players out of position as wing backs than move to a back four and play wingers in their in their sort of proper in air quotes role. Is that fair to say? Yep. Cool. Um, it's 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 been a it's been a long one again. Um, there's always lots to talk about with Spurs at the moment. I'm glad that we were able to to launch into a, a positive start uh, thanks to the the crushing, devastating win over Everton. And uh, let's hope that the same happens next week. Uh, remember to, to check out pleatis.com, our partners for March, um, P-L-E-A-T-E-S.com. Use our discount code EXTRA20, which will get you 20% off. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. 
Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.